Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. On today's show, I have a twofer. It should be on a Tuesday, two for Tuesday. Anyway, twofer meaning we've got a author and the narrator of the audio book. The author is Landon Beach and he's written a book called Narrator. Check it out. The narrator is Scott Brick, only one of the biggest audiobook narrators in the world. And they're both on the show today. So please, without any further ado, join me in the green room as we meet Landon Beach and Scott Brick on The Thriller Zone. Hey, David. Landon. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you, sir? Really good. Hey, I, I got to tell you, I um, have been kind of watching your career and the evolution of what The Thriller Zone has become. And I watched a couple episodes just in preparation for the interview. And man... You are taken off, brother. This it's like you've got editing and posts. Uh, it's it's awesome. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've uh, I've I've been having a lot of fun <laughs> talking to a lot of people. Uh, it's uh, this. Uh, I thought I would do something, mix it up for summer, since uh, so many people have more time on their hands. So I thought oh, I'll do a little bit of a. Uh, double dipping on July and August. Well, now I'm at the end of August and I'm like keeping up two episodes a week at this yeah. um, level of production, both video and audio. I don't want to say it's not sustainable, but when you're only one guy and you're trying to write books too, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. How is the, how is the writing going? You, uh, <laughs> you got a project that you're on right now. I mean, or is it taking a hiatus because of the, the stuff you got going on with the thriller zone? It's basically taken a hiatus. And my wife said the other day, she goes, you know, when we were about 45 days into this nonstop, she goes, how's that book of yours coming? I'm like, oh, um, yeah, that. hang on a second. I think somebody's at the door, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, do I do want to say welcome to the Thriller Zone. I mean, we're all thrilled to have you here. So, boom. And thrilled to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Now, Landon, I want to ask one question. It's just chewing at me. We're going to get to the book, The Narrator, in a second. Um, and, and I'm being a little smart-ass, tongue-in-cheek, because that's what I do. <laughs> How do you get all this freaking blood all over the table, all over the knife, all <laughs> over your name, which is a font on the book, but it doesn't touch the microphone? How does that I don't know. My my designer's a genius. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> and very careful with the blood spatter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, only want our... Too much of a hint. <laughs> our DNA is only going to go so far, boys. Now, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we have much ground to cover. Um, we have a former Navy officer and educator and a, well, geez, I can't even say former audiobook narrator because it seems like Scott's been doing this since he was probably came out of the womb with a microphone. <laughs> this just in, ladies. I'm uncomfortable <laughs> for my mother. 
Yeah, especially it was one of those great big RCAs like this one here on the yeah, cover. Like, like a box mic or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Son, I don't know what's going on, but that is too much hardware down there. <laughs> hey, uh, Landon, I want to start, and I'll try to bounce back and forth so we keep this kind of an even party. Landon, okay. I want to ask you, you know, you were we were talking before we started up because I'm in San Diego. He's in Florida. Uh, you're in Florida, and we're talking about uh, you probably did some time <laughs> did time in San Diego. Sorry to hear that. It's not like doing time in San Quentin. This one is just all, you're you're in sunshine. But w- when did you finally? When, when did you say? I want to know this because I want to get to know the people who don't know either one of you gentlemen. Uh, I want to. I kind of approach a show like that so that I don't assume anybody knows everybody. Um, but like, when did you say screw it to uh, th- these careers? Uh, I'm I'm doing full time writing. This is this is my passion. I'm in. Well, I've always been writing um, while I was in the military and while I was an educator, and really, it just got to the point where financially uh, I was able to do it. Uh, so it, it was more of a we have to wait and see. Uh, where that is at before we're able to kind of commit to it um, full time. And finally, uh, after a while, uh, it was possible. So I don't think it was any kind of a timeline or anything. My passion has always been there. I've always loved writing and reading. Um, and it has been great to meet Scott and get to know him. And, uh, you know, a friendship developed uh, out of, you know, what was just mostly a professional relationship. I think we thought that was both what it was going to be. Uh, it's just been a blessing. So that's, that's sort of how it happened. So no, no real plan in mind, my friend. Yeah. And and Scott it's so interesting. Uh, I first learned of Landon. I think Landon reached out to me, uh, via the thriller zone website. And I was like, wait a minute, Landon got Scott brick to do his audio book. And I start (laughs) researching. I'm like, Scott did all of this audio. How did that happen? I mean, that's friggin' amazing. Well, you know, look, the uh, the industry is changing. Um, if you would have asked me five, ten years ago, I never, I don't think I had ever worked directly with an author or maybe just a handful of times. There was a guy from my church years ago who hired me to do his book. Um, but the industry is changing. And um, uh, I have a woman who runs my, um, she's my production coordinator, Um uh, Gina Smith and, uh, Landon reached out through the website, spoke with Gina. Um, Gina took a look at the books and said, these are really good. Do you want to, you know, take a look? And I said, sure. Next thing I know, it's, we're six books in (laughs) into the relationship and I, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. I mean, that's just Landon. You, you landed the whale out of the gate. You know, you took your little fly rod down from Walmart, <laughs> threw it in the water and you pulled up Moby Dick. Uh, I don't know if that's a good analogy, but it's the first <laughs> thing I could work with. So it's still early guys. And I'm like, that's just, you know, not to geek out too much, but it is my show. So I can kind of do whatever the hell I want. And, but I mean, Scott Brick has always been that guy that you're like, well, I'm going to drop two names. There's two names in the world, as far as I'm concerned, that if you don't hire me, kidding, you're going to hire either Scott Brick or Ray Porter, right? I mean, it's just kind of, that's how it works. So Landon, when I, you know, when I found this out, I'm like, geez, dude, you, you landed the whale. So kudos, golf clap. Ray Porter, by the way, <clears throat> makes a special appearance in this book. <laughs> of course he does. He's he's one of my dearest friends. Uh, we went out to dinner with him on Friday night at 
for my girlfriend's birthday. And, um, yeah, lovely guy. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and let everybody in on it. Um, uh, Landon was kind enough to dedicate narrator to me, um, said some lovely things at the, at the beginning. And then at the end, in the author's note was effusive in his praise once again. And I thought, I don't need any help to look or sound self-centered, so I'm going to do, I'm going to do myself a favor, and I hired Ray Porter to say those nice things about me because I just I I, did, I actually to be honest I I didn't want to be self-conscious. Um, I didn't want to uh, my, my whole if you go to my website uh, uh, the 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 picture on the on the main page mm -hmm. is me looking away from the camera. Right, and people have asked me multiple times, you know. Why did you do that? And I said, it kind of fits my brand. I, I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about the author's words. So, um, uh, so technically, I have now hired a friend of mine to say nice things about me. <laughs> so, yeah, so he does the intro and outro credits. That's too good. That's too good. Yeah, David, I, I'm still pinching myself daily going, did that happen? Yes, that actually happened. Ray and Scott did did narrator. I I had a someone who re listened to the book uh, sent me an email and said, "Is that Ray Porter it, in the beginning and also the author's note?" And all I could think to write back, I said, "Yes, dark side is everywhere." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, not that many people know. Yeah, he played dark side in JLA. Yeah. Yeah, it was neat. It was really neat. Yeah. I'm trying to think, and Scott, I didn't drill down, and Landon, I'm coming back to you. Scott, I didn't drill down on you or your entire website, but how many, I'm curious, how many audiobooks now today, roughly? Well, I know there's over a thousand, and uh, it's going to sound like, you know, well, get a load of me. I don't have to count anymore. Um, but I, I got to be honest, I, I haven't counted in years. Um, yeah. um, I know that on the average, I do about 50 books a year. Um, because that's how many weeks I work, you know, I take a two week vacation, I, you know, it's 50, 50 books a year. So I just, I just started kind of toss, just adding that number every, every new year's. And, um, uh, it's a, a year or two, I went over a thousand and I honestly have no idea anymore. All right. Last question before we move back to land in Atlanta, I'm going to give you all kinds of time after this. <clears throat> Uh, and this is the question I, I'm curious because I dabble in it as well. And so you're telling me if you're doing 50 a year, you're doing a book in a week. Mm -hmm. Typically, so, on average. Okay, so yeah. 90 to 100,000 words-ish. Um, more often than not, it's 100,000. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, look, I, I did Atlas Shrugged one year, and that was um, <laughs> that was 62 hours, which means it was probably – 500,000 words. Um, you know, I did fewer books that year, but there are also sometimes books that I'll do where I'm only doing one, uh, w you know, one story in a short story collection. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not me doing the whole book, but on average, it still works out to be one every week. Wow. Well, kudos to you. Now, Landon, this is, um, what six? We're six books in. I know you've got you've got one coming out in November. Then you got another one coming out in spring. So you're you you're a little machine, aren't you? I'm I'm writing away, having fun. 
So you're six in, and do you do you see this? I'm just curious, as a, f- a fellow writer, do you uh, is your old, is your aim your goal kind of two three books a year? Is that where you're heading for? Well, I don't know what the pace will be um, because this is my first year writing full time, uh, which is a blessing and and wonderful. Um, I was really happy to get narrator out when we got it out. Um, that was a major goal of mine. And I'm really pleased with it. And I'm over halfway done with Huron Nights, which will come out at the end of November. So I'm pretty sure about that deadline. And the third book in that trilogy, as you said, for the spring, um, since I'm writing them back to back and so immersed into the characters right now, that will be, and it's it's a detective novel too. So those are a little bit, I hate to say it, but easier to transition and finish than a standalone that takes a lot more research and getting to know the characters more. So I do think that it is possible um, in terms of standalones. I think, you know, I don't know if it would ever be that kind of pace, but right now, at least for those two, I, I think we're on track for a uh, late November release and then sometime probably late spring to finish up that trilogy. Oh, good for you. And, and uh, narrators more really mystery thriller versus, you know, in that suspense, which it takes that you really got to build those stories and you got to, you know, slide in a few red herrings and, you know, which you did so well and trick the reader a little bit and make him going this way. And then all of a sudden it's that way. So I get that. It's a psychological thriller really, you know, straight on yeah and and the nice thing too uh, to your bigger point is that when you're immersed in a world that you've already created with a primary protagonist then you're really just taking you finish one and it's the next week metaphorically right or the next month etc the next case so a lot of your uh, core homework's already done yeah i agree yeah, we're both nodding heads for people who are listening. And for those watching, <laughs> you'll see us uh, do a triple bobblehead. So yeah, it's yeah, really exactly. quite enjoyable. <laughs> hey, Landon, I think it was Ryan Steck, uh, who's going to be uh, on the show Labor Day weekend, who said your book was, and I love this, man, cheesy, Pete's Misery Meets Gone Girl. Now, I can't really think of much higher praise than that. How'd that make you feel? Yeah, it was wonderful to get that kind of affirmation. And and really, it is um, set out to be sort of like that, where you get a feel of misery in the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. But just as you think, oh, this is just another misery novel, just with an audiobook narrator, then it takes a big turn. And um, yeah. I knew I wanted that to happen pretty early, um, right around the end of part one, so that we establish that. And then we say, did that happen? Did that really happen or not? And for the rest of it. So then it becomes more a novel like Gone Girl, but it's really kind of a synthesis of both of those. But yeah, it was interesting to have him capture that, um, really the feel of the whole book in that one statement. Yeah. Uh, I love the way that Scott is lighting himself. He reminds me of that music video that Queen did back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I- I want uh, it all. You know, I want it all. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed, I do. Yeah. Total and world st- domination. <laughs> and speaking of which, Scott, your background is theater, right? I, I did it not is- drill. Okay. Uh, it's very obvious in your style and the way that you portray characters. Were you Were you heading down? Uh, what was your trajectory? Were you, hey, I'm going to be in the theater and then this came up? How did that work? 
Well, I was uh, I was a student uh, at UCLA in the theater arts department, uh, and even though it's called the theater department, you know, of course, we're training for for film, for TV. Uh, they're even training with mocap now, motion capture stuff, and um, and now actually they brought me back to teach audiobook narration to their third year grad students, which is really kind of crazy because I never got my degree. I, I I went I went for parts of six years and I was so burned out and, and, and uh, uh, got got a little sick I had to I had to pull out. Uh, it's so funny that a college dropout uh, uh, nowadays, if you want your third year uh, graduate degree at UCLA, you got to go through this guy who never even got his his undergrad degree. <laughs> I, I asked I asked the department at one point. I said, "Is that going to be a problem?" You know, and they said, "Well." Don't lead with that fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was doing kind of whatever work came along. Um, um, stay, it was primarily stage. I did uh, 10 years on and off uh, with a um, uh, traveling Shakespeare company. Uh, we would go all over California and Nevada. And, uh, you know, it was wonderful training. I, I don't think you, you have to have done Shakespeare in order to... Uh, to record audiobooks, but uh, <laughs> by the time I, I wound up getting into audiobooks on June 10th of 1999, I remember it because I wrote it down for tax purposes. Um, uh, you know, it's, it was it was several years after after I had uh, uh, left school, but when I found myself in this industry, I went, "Oh, thank God I did all that Shakespeare! Thank God I did all that stage work!" and and the uh, you know the infrequent movies and TV shows yeah. as well. Yeah. It all, you know, it for, all goes into it. It, it, it. And it's amazing because uh, you do something interesting in your <clears throat> narrating work that instead of trying to uh, impersonate or really split off characters into these mm -hmm. big, bold, separate, you do it with a just a nuance of a shift of a voice, which is, uh, that's no easy feat. Well, thank you. I, I, um, yeah, I do that intentionally. I have friends of mine who are gifted at creating character voices, things that you might hear in, you know, Saturday morning animated shows or, or, you know, Pixar films. Um, um, but the fact of the matter is the genre that I find myself working in most often, you know, thrillers, mysteries, 21st century realism, right? Um, having a voice that you would hear in a, in a Saturday morning cartoon doesn't sound to me like it would serve the end product well. So I've always told people, um, you know, there's a, doing a character voice, that's a technique that you have to wed it to the emotional truth. Yeah. Um, uh, in my more cynical moments, I, I call it, you know, it's tricks and truth, but, uh, but really it's, it's a technique and, and unless what I, what I try to do is I just try to focus on the emotional truth of the scene. And yeah. I always figure if I can hear the difference in my head, then the listener will hear it in their ear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mission accomplished. And I think that's good. You're not insulting the listener to go and, and now here's a woman, right? Cause mm -hmm. you can just be a woman by just, you know, lifting yeah. the voice a little bit. The, the pitch it's, and, and I think there is an unspoken contract between the narrator and listener and the listener understands there's only one narrator here. 
Yeah. yeah. Unless yeah. it's unless Ray Porter is doing the credits, of course. But uh, um, but they know it's just it's just me. Yeah. And so if I raise my pitch a little bit, if I get a little breathier on on a woman's lines, um, fortunately, we have a really wonderful and powerful thing, which is Landon's words. She said. Right. Yeah. It's the power of suggestion. Yeah. You know, why won't you talk to me? She said. Right. OK, I, I, I think they're going to get the point. Landon, tell us about that. How long did you have to research to come up with that phrase, she said? Because that's so powerful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the one thing I I would add about that is using he said and she said as your dialogue tags. um, I'm pretty old school on that in terms of writing, because I think if you use those and sparingly at that, but it puts the power back on the writing. You have to get the dialogue right. Um, and it makes it stronger that you can't cheat and say, well, you said powerfully, <laughs> you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And in dialogue, it's usually an adverb, an L-Y word. <laughs> uh, but also too, I've mentioned before that um, working with Scott and having him perform my audiobooks has helped me become a better writer because I never wrote in the beginning thinking about audiobooks at all when I started over 20 years ago. And it would be very natural to have a lot of he said, she said throughout my writing. But when you hear it performed, and you, and Scott is wonderful at throwing them away to keep the onus on you know what's being said, I've adjusted throughout my time of trying to minimize those just to make it a smoother listen and a better listen for you know people that are listening to the audiobook and the biggest challenge was when uh, Scott and I did uh, Huron Breeze together and I had three suspects in a room and two private investigators and trying to balance five lines of dialogue um, and not using he said she said or the character's name was a big challenge and I must have you know rewrote that scene a million times but it did end up being better because of that. That's something, David, I never would have even considered just writing at the beginning of my career. Well, there's two I, things. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to uh, interject that I one time, no lie, no joke, I one time had to read the line, I don't believe you, she said disbelievingly. <laughs> and and it's just you know, adverbs Adverbs are, are narrator hell as well. Um no, but, uh, but Landon makes an excellent point. I think the more you try to stray from he said, she said, and, and you, and you get into just all this agita, you know, like, uh, um, she avowed, you know, he averred, uh, she disagreed. You know, I one time had another author say, over there, comma, he gestured. <laughs> now you tell me how somebody can gesture. A line of dialogue you tell me and i will back off but it's it's um i think the more i think we as readers and as listeners we just skip over that stuff we don't even notice it yeah so the more the more effort i put on you know he said she said you know they will notice it in the same way that the writing will get noticed if you get too deep into into any verb other than said well, there's three thoughts that popped into my head, and I've been trying to. It, one is you, Scott. You kind of inferred this. We have an unspoken agreement with our mm-hmm. listener. 
Let's assume they're smart enough to know with a lilt or a shift that it's a he saying that and a she saying. Not not to get over too analytical, but this is a point I want to make because I find it so interesting that let's give the readers credit. Number two. Absolutely. Adverbs. uh, I read a book recently. I will not mention their name. I... I stopped counting subconsciously somewhere around 200. I'm like, what the (laughs) hell do you need the adverbs for? Mm -hmm. And if you sprinkle it occasionally, perhaps, but boy, when you beat me over the head with an adverb, I'm like, you're really not confident in your words. You're just really trying to hammer this into, and I, I always do this. I got it, you know, and I think it's probably because I'm reading so many books for this show, but I'm like, geez, I, I get it. Um, I had a, I had a movie producer years ago. I was, uh, working with, um, I was working with Morgan Freeman's production company and, and I did a couple of scripts for them. And, and I remember, um, his, his producer, uh, Lori McCreary, um, dear, dear friend of mine. And she, um, she took me aside and she showed me where I was overriding. And and I said, oh, that's overriding? And she said, yeah, when you're describing how the actor should say something, you're taking away their ability to perform. Yeah. You, you're dictating their performance. Yeah. And that's the last thing I want to do. Yeah. And then as, as a performer myself, I went, oh, God, you're right. And I think that's the same thing that adverbs do, you know. He said disbelievingly. <laughs> uh, he said disapprovingly. Um, you know, I, I, I uh, again with that unspoken contract between um, uh, narrator and listener, between author and listener, is the fact that you get to interpret this book the way that you choose. I, for me personally, I want to give the listener just enough to stimulate their imagination so that they interpret the story for themselves. I want to give them just enough to make them think because I don't want to take that part of the job away from them. Sure, sure, sure. It's an interactive experience. I'm, yeah, I'm reading it, but they're listening to it. And that implies a lot more than people think. Yeah. I think too, David, that's a fear that every author has too, is you just don't want to do something to take someone out of the book. You want to keep the magic going and that you're in it, you're engrossed. And, you know, you have many sleepless nights saying, oh, am I going to lose them there or am I doing this? And it's funny Scott mentioned that because my my master's degree is in screenwriting. It's a it's creative writing with a focus in screenwriting. And I'll never forget a professor told us one time with a script and and it was really good. But there are a few parts and the professor said this is where the actor said, oh, well, they don't want an actor for this. They want a robot and walked out and it was never made and we're all sitting there going oh my gosh because they're artists too and they want to be able to interpret it and bring that to life without just reading oh you want me to exactly this is how you want me to act this i said no to a job one time a screenwriting gig because um the producer handed me a list of all the story beats that needed to be hit in this script it was an adaptation from a novel so i knew okay got it but I, I, I turned to him and I handed back the list of story beats and I said, I don't think you need a writer. I think you need a typist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, could be, I could be a bit mean in production meetings, I guess. Well, Landon, I, I want to shift a second. I'm always a fan of learning where an original seed of an idea comes from, you know, where, where it gets planted in your subconscious. Do you recall that moment where narrator came to you where you're like, oh, what if I take this idea and marry it to that? And how far back was that? Two-part question. <laughs> I do. Um, and the answer is, I've always loved film and old Hollywood and just a student of film and just really interested in how movies come to life and how art informs other pieces of art. And so I would say that four films primarily have been in my mind for years and it would be Vertigo, mm. Play Misty for me, Misery, of course, and A Beautiful Mind. So if we fast forward to about 2001, You've got those four films just in my brain, and I've always wanted to write something to do with the entertainment industry. I just think, uh, you know, maybe the Tinseltown magic is still alive, but it's an area of, you know, art and the world that just everybody feels like an outsider, except for the few privileged people that get to be in it. And it just is always interesting um, to think about a story set in that world, but I could never figure it out. I, I could never figure out what would be new or something that people hadn't seen before. And I'd also throw in the short story, The Continuity of Parks by Julio Cortazar. Um, that played a huge role in this. And then fast forward to 2019, when Scott and I started working together, and it was probably after hearing him perform those first three books. We had a, a contract for the first three books I had at the time. And I said, you know what? I don't think anyone has ever written a book before with an audiobook narrator as the protagonist. And I think that would that would do it. And so at that point, I had a couple other books that I was writing on and really wanted to finish. But I always laugh and say that the fifth book in the Great Lakes saga, I've postponed that a few years because I think both Scott and you can appreciate this, Dave, that when you get that idea, everything else just moves to the side yeah. and you've got to write it. And so I started research researching this well over a year ago um, and maybe five or six months before I even approached Scott about it. Um just so that I, I I felt confident where I was at to even bring it up. But yeah, so it was kind of like a 20-year brainstorming session. And then all of a sudden I had it. And I didn't know what it was going to be about, but I'm like, this is definitely a way to do it that, that might be new and interesting. You just bring up an interesting point that I often uh, talk to uh, authors about, and that's this, that the sometimes we don't allow ourselves as writers to al allow ourselves enough time to just... I call it simmer because I'm from the South and things percolate on in a percolator and a simmer on a stove, right? So oh, yeah. I'm, always, I'm always drinking or eating something. So my point <laughs> is um, you have to, because uh, I'm working, you, you and I were talking before Scott showed up about what I'm working on. And I'm like, sometimes you have to just, you'll get that gist of an idea, which is kind of what you're saying, which I've done, which is novel and interesting to me. But then you go, I have to just let it simmer and take on its own gestation period organically and it'll come to me and trust the process that if you allow 
that simmer time, it will come. And so I, I'm with you. So when people hear, oh, it took such and such amount of time to do, well, sometimes that's what it takes. I, and I, I think uh, it's also equally true. One of the biggest things I got out of Stephen King's book on writing was right at the end when he listed all of the books that he was reading while he was writing on writing. And I cannot tell you how helpful that is because I'll give you an example for Huron Nights, the book that I'm writing right now. Um, again, Scott and I do it our friendship. I've always wanted to read a great biography about Humphrey Bogart because he's just a great actor and I'm really interested. And so at some point I reached out to Scott and he said, this is the one that you want to go with. And so here I am, I've got my books, you know, for Michigan and private investigating that I'm reading that are kind of, you know, your core research for a certain type of book. But then there are other books that you're reading that somehow find their way for ideas into the book. And so I was in, I don't know, the first third of the Bogart book and all of a sudden an idea from, you know, Humphrey Bogart's life. I'm like, this is absolutely perfect for Huron Nights. So I would have never had that before had I not been reading that. And so uh, some writers have reached out to me and said, well, what do you do about writer's block? And I think there's two things that work well. One is change the weather in the scene. That almost always works. Yeah. And number two is pick up any book and just start reading. And within 15 or 20 minutes, you're going to go someplace with it. So uh, I always thought that it would be neat to give a writer five books that they've never read before, and they can only read those five books. They're locked in a room and write a novel based on that oh, and see what happens. Like, and I think you go for nonfiction, and I'll give you one fiction novel, but it's got to be something, probably one of them has got to be a biography or a memoir. I'll throw that in there because of the human aspect. But I think that that would be a neat idea. It's kind of akin to, you know, everybody says, well, chess is getting kind of boring, you know, for thousands of years just have the pieces randomly on there and play it out. I mean, you can't really do that because one player is going to have a certain advantage over the other one. But I think for novel writing, that might be something that would be neat. Scott, you were going to say something. I, I, I was, I, and I'm sorry. <clears throat> I don't mean to interject, but um, it, you talked about simmering. And um, uh, I read a lot of books about writing. Um Landon just spoke about the best one ever, which is On Writing by Stephen King. Um, and I, the reason I find that one fascinating is that half of it is a memoir. Half of it is, you know, how he wrote, you know, Carrie and then threw it in the trash and his wife, Tabitha, pulled it out of the trash and, and, <laughs> and, and sent it off for submission. Um, I think that is uh, uh, a vital to the story, uh, uh, vital to teaching somebody how to write. Um, but there's something else I learned from another writer, um, Orson Scott Card. We've actually been friends longer than I've narrated his work. Um, I met him uh, several years before uh, uh, getting into this line of work. And um, he told me once that whenever he gets a good idea, whenever he gets something that makes him go, huh, I wonder he knows that he is a year away from starting it because wow. he has to let it simmer. Yeah, and yeah, what yeah. he does specifically, he looks for a secondary idea that he can marry it to. Yeah. Well, what if, okay, well, what if this happened? But what if it then went in this direction? Right. He knows it's not ready until he finds that second idea that, that he can wed it to. 
Yeah. And I, I, I'm absolutely, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. There's a, I don't, I'm not going to be able to recall the book. It may be, oh, she's, um, you're going to know who this is. Save the cat. His name is. Oh, God, yes. Um, oh, um, he passed away. Um, um, Blake Snyder, is that right? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Okay. It. Maybe it was Blake Snyder who said, um, it, it, when you get stuck, put in an oh shit moment. And maybe I'm making that up, but here's what I'm getting at is that when, when you are moving along and you're like, oh, huh, maybe this is not just create something that goes, oh shit. And then the minute you can figure out what that is, that's going to propel it into another direction. And I started doing that one day when I was writing a uh, screenplay and I'm like, oh my God, it always works. You're, you're moving this way and oh shit, oh, it's that way. And, um, I've used it ever since. Yeah. One other thing too, I would add is it gets scary at the end of a book when you're writing and you're reading other books and you keep getting these great ideas to say, oh my gosh, what if I would have never read that book? This this book I'm writing would be so incomplete. And at some point you have to cut that off because you've got to be able to publish it and put it out there. But it is, you could have nightmares after of like, if I just read one more book, that scene would have been, but, but you can't do that. But it has helped me out to remember, don't just get so locked into writing, keep yeah. on reading, just read all the time. I think that's the, and we're going to hit this here in a second. <clears throat> I think that's one of the best pieces of advice because it is so true. And we're not stealing people's work. We're, we're, we're borrowing ideas since there are no original ideas. We're borrowing an idea and catapulting it into our story. We're just exactly. using that as an impetus for a new it's inspiration. Yeah. A new not, trajectory. Exactly. Yeah. It's inspiration, not theft. Right. Exactly. And a uh, matter of fact, <laughs> oh boy. I, uh, I picked this up recently, and I, I can, I guess, to plug other guys. Austin Kleon wrote this book called Steal Like an Artist. Uh -huh. And I've always been in that guy, oh, geez, I don't want to steal Scott's idea, Landon's idea, because that, that's their idea. But, I'm, and, you know, this is basically that saying, steal, we're all artists, steal like an artist. If you're going to steal an idea, take it from somebody who really knows what they're doing. Because you're not going to, plagiarizing is when you duplicate it inside your book. We're not right. talking about that. But Landon, I, I really cheer you on for that great piece of advice because it, it's so true. It happened to me recently. And when you said that, I was like, oh my God, that's what happened. I was stuck on something. I went and picked up one of my favorite writers uh, and I just open it up and I'm like, I just want a propulsion. I think it was Brian Freeman, a propulsion of an uh, energetic action scene. And I read one chapter and I'm like, oh, that was just this little jolt of adrenaline. I needed to go take it and just run with it. And again, not stealing the idea, just going, you know, it's like flipping on a James Bond movie or a Jason Bourne movie. You're like, oh, that's, that's, I never thought about that. I'll maybe integrate a, a piece of that into a story. So. Hey, Shakespeare, Shakespeare stole so much, if we're going to use that pejorative term. I mean, <laughs> yeah. God, you look at uh, a comedy of errors. It's like there's so many plays that 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 play was that that comedy was based upon. So uh, but again, he stole like an artist. He yeah. used it for inspiration rather than lifting it, you know. Yeah, but, Scott, that's good. And it's so funny, <laughs> you know, um, people will go, well, th all the stories started with Shakespeare. I'm like. I 
pretty really. good idea not, that there's somebody really. who was before Shakespeare. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go on a limb here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even when they say, well, there, all these stories are similar to, yeah, but let's, let's go back a little bit further. Just, just a little. Anyway, um, and let's go ahead and do this now because we're going to have to start to wrap up. And uh, one of my favorite things to do, I end all my shows with this, Landon, as you know, because you listen to the show, I ask my authors, and Scott, I'm going to do this for you too. What is that best piece of advice that you'd give to aspiring writers? But hold that thought because Scott, while Landon is sharing that, I want you to think, what's the best piece of advice you would give someone who, for instance, is an aspiring audiobook narrator? So hold that thought. Landon, you're up. I think that it would be to have faith and confidence in yourself and know that publishing has changed and that there are so many more opportunities for everybody than there ever were before. And don't lose faith. But in all honesty, it does come down to button the seat. You don't get to draft two until you get to draft one. You don't get to book two until, and I've seen a lot of writing friends who just got stuck on chapter three of their first book and wrote some great stuff, but revised it over and over and over again, and they never made it to chapter four. And so I think for someone who's starting out, my advice would be different for someone who's you know still in the business, although we all agree you still have to put in the time. But it would be that you've got to you've got to put in the time and realize that you have opportunities that never existed before. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with self-publishing, which your your books right now are self-published, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, but the point being is you're taking the power into your hands. You're making that world happen. You're not waiting for the traditional world to catch up to you. You may even be submitting. I don't know. But the point being is if you make it a self-publisher and then you go to a traditional publisher, because that maybe is the way you want to go, they go, they look at your track record or your platform and they go, oh, geez, this guy knows how it works. And then, you know, you're even more of a shoe in in some ways, right? Yeah, I would say that the one thing that every traditional publisher and agent was universally wrong about all of my books was that they said to a person for every single one, I can't sell that. And I'm here in 2022, starting in 2018, four years after putting out my work, and I'm writing full time. So all the other reasons and whatnot, and nothing against traditional publishing, and maybe that'll be in the future. But that would also probably be a piece of advice is don't get wrapped up if somebody says they can't sell it because they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And I'm probably sitting here today having no books published, listening to Scott Brick narrate somebody else's work. And I'm glad that's not me. (laughs) I am. I'm really happy where I'm at. Yeah. And Scott, how about you? Say one of our listeners wants to, uh, uh, maybe he's or she is a writer, wants to uh, narrate their own book, or they mm-hmm. want to branch off and, hey, I want to give that a shot. What, what would your best piece of advice be? Um, there's, a, uh, there's a wonderful website called narratorsroadmap.com, uh, which uh, a friend and colleague, Karen Cummins, she, uh, she lays out all the steps that you need to walk through to to get a narration career um if it was me offering you know performance advice trying to get a little nuance into into the work um 
I think, you know, look, there's a reason why we've been talking about all these books about writing. Um, uh, I think the best advice that narrators can get is read the advice that writers give one another and then do a little selective editing, you know, a, a find and replace. Um, when Stephen King wrote in on writing, he wrote, if you want to be a better writer, read voraciously. Well, if you want to be a better narrator, read voraciously. Yeah. And there, there's so much nuance that you can bring to your work if you just pay attention to what writers say about their work. And the best example of this I know of is, um, uh, is about third-person narrative, right? The third-person narrator is, is not in the story. They're commenting on somebody in the story. And people ask me, narrators ask me all the time, is it okay if I put a little flavor into that third-person narrative? And I always point out something that Orson Scott Card, um, to pick up his name again, he wrote a book called Character in Viewpoint, a book for authors. And in it, he says that when he is writing in third-person, that it sounds, his, his third-person narrator will sound like the point-of-view character. And he does that intentionally. He says, when I'm writing their narrative, it, it almost feels as though I'm acting, as though I'm improvising in that character's voice, even though that character is not the narrator. And I always think that you can add that little extra oomph, that little character to the third-person narration, you know. Um, there's a, there was a line, that uh, a piece that I work with, um, I'm paraphrasing here. Penny Jackson knew that to wish her husband would die a, you know, a life of a life of uh, debt and ignominy made her a bad person, but she was willing to live with the character flaw. Um, it's a great line. There's irony dripping off of it, like hot fudge off a Sunday. So how about you say it like Penny Jackson knew that wishing her ex-husband would die a lot. <laughs> You know, a death of loneliness and ignominy made her a bad person, but she was willing to live with the character flaw. Yeah. How about you read it in a, such a way that we know how you feel about this character? Yeah. And that, so, so that's just a, a, a bit of subtlety that I learned from reading a book where a writer is giving advice to other writers. So I like it. That's good. <clears throat> Look what we've learned here today, kids. <laughs> I'll tell y'all what. All right. If you know that sound, you've been listening to the show. It's rapid fire questions. It's not really that rapid, Scott. So there's no hurry. Because uh, right. I need an editor. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm um, I'm going to ask you to both to play along. I'm, I've never done a dual rapid fire question. So I'm going to kind of blend them two together. <clears throat> it's all about the adventure. So, guys, you've both been, uh, you've decided to take a break from your crushing workload. You're taking a road trip on a long weekend. Scott, you get to choose an audiobook you'd like to listen to that is not yours. Hard to imagine since you've nearly cornered the market with Scott. Uh, and Landon, you get to pick the music that plays in between. What genre or band would you choose? So, okay, well, the, the audiobook, uh, I think would have to be um, uh, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. It's one of my favorite novels of all time. Uh, and I wish I could remember the, the narrator's name. 
Uh, I can look it up, but uh, yeah, I would have to listen to Rebecca again. Okay, if it, and, and again, not, not taken away from Landon because it's 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 a hell of a ride. And Landon, how about you? You're getting ready to you get to choose the music in between the audiobook. I think anything uh, Bossa Nova related Ooh. is the perfect uh, little break from listening. Oh God, who doesn't like Bossa Nova? <laughs> Crazy people. Number two, you two have been asked to turn narrator into a Broadway play. Uh And both of you guys are producing. This is amazing. Landon, you get to choose who plays Sean Frost on stage. And Scott, you get to choose who is inside the booth. Who would you both choose? Okay. So that's easy for me. Uh, Scott Brick all the way. I want to see Scott play Sean Frost, whether it be film on stage with his background, uh, I think it'd be incredible. Uh, you know, I would love to disagree, but as we've already established, I'm fairly self-centered. Um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I would, I would have to agree only because it's it. I have uh, old college friends of mine who appear on Broadway regularly, and I envy them like crazy. I would love for that opportunity. Yeah, it was completely loaded, and you guys didn't let me down. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> You both get to finish this statement. Nobody's on the bubble here. If money were no object, all bills are paid, the family's all taken care of, and you get to disappear for an entire month all by yourself. I want you to spend the whole time. Uh, you're going to finish the sentence. sentence. I, get, I want to spend the whole time doing nothing but blank. Landon, you're first. Laying on the, lying on the beach, looking out at at the water as the waves come in. I like it. Well, and your name really pretty much says it. You do land on (laughs) the beach. Land on the beach. I see what you did there. Thank you. It took me all day to come up with that. Cheesy Pete's. All right, Scott, your turn. Uh, I will tell you what I did for the first month of quarantine. Um, uh, my girlfriend and I, she's, uh, Susanna Lee Freeman. She's a narrator as well. And we only had one booth at the time, um, uh, because we were isolating and, uh, uh, we, when she was working, I had like five hours a day that I got to fill however I wanted to. And what I did is I read a bunch of books about silent film. I am a nut for old Hollywood history. And uh, that's what I did for six months. And uh, God, I'm just so grateful to have been given that opportunity. So uh, given another opportunity, I would do the same thing. I would become a silent film historian. You guys are rich. All right. The book is Narrator. You want to learn more about Landon Beach, simply go to LandonBeachBooks.com. Scott is at ScottBrick.net. You guys, this has been awesome. Uh just i wish you the best success both of you because you guys look like you're going to be in it together for the long haul so you're you're stuck with each other right exactly yes indeed all right guys thank you so much thanks david been a privilege and we are out uh by the way scott i do um i'm you know the tech technician in my brain has been wanting to fix that friggin' uh, one yeah. channel of yours. Uh, so um, 
I had this thing happen to me uh, in an old booth. Uh, there was a leak in the roof and rain, water hit uh, the connection of a wire and shorted out one side of the wire. So I wonder on a wire, again, it's why I worry about this, I don't know, but when's the last time you changed the the basically the cable? Maybe it could just uh, be a cable yesterday. Thing. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. We uh, uh I had a I had a tech meltdown um which actually happened because of a um changing my monitor. My monitor just up and died on me and I had to dash out to Best Buy and get a replacement and when I did it, uh when I installed it, it changed all of my settings. Uh oh. but I didn't know that. I you know, I had to have my friendly tech guru, you know, help me out remotely. And, um, and so I was replacing cables, wires. Oh, wow. It might just be my, uh, the settings for, um, for when I'm, re- because I'm using my studio mic and, yeah. um, um, and it's n- not even as close as I, uh, I typically, uh, um, uh, use it, but, uh, uh, I've got it slaved so that my, my, uh, studio settings are my zoom settings Gotcha. And, um, yeah, and and we re- we record an analog, so like one track mono. Got it. Um, so that might be what you're. That hearing. is exactly what it is. That makes total sense. Yeah, because you would never have to worry about recording uh, no. a single voice in stereo. Okay, exactly. Whenever I do a commercial VO, uh, I always have to change that setting. And uh, yeah, Landon, what's your excuse? Oh, you don't have any problems at all. That's right. You're perfectly poised. You have your posters up. You got the. <laughs> Yeah, I'm expecting a ring light to show up in your eyes, but you. <laughs> well, I, what? <laughs> I went to a, uh, I went to a audio, I went to a voiceover conference a uh, weekend before last. And um, we were in Dallas and Landon, I tell you, man, you know, he is so on the ball. Um, you know how, like on a book, on a thriller, you hire, you, you ask other thriller writers to give you a blurb. So Stephen King will blurb Lee Child, and Lee Child will blurb Nelson DeMille, and DeMille will blurb Clive Cussler, you know, whatever. Landon, for the, for the blurbs, he went for voiceover artists. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, I, and I love that about him. It's so outside the box. And uh, when I went to the conference, there was a table in their essentially dealer's room, you know, when people are trying to sell you microphones or services or whatever. This whole table was devoted to narrator. Uh, awesome. I saw this on Instagram, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. Standing off to the side of it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, man, talking about great positioning. And I had dozens of people ask me, so what's up with narrator? What, you know, is it good? Should I buy it? I'm like, yes, you should. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Thanks, brother. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, David, I, and I would say this too about, you know, my answer about, um, traditional publishing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not totally poo-pooing, but I just found it fascinating that that was the major feedback almost every single time. It was, and I've talked to others that have been rejected for various reasons, but I don't know, it was interesting just to hear that, you know, we can't sell this book. And, you know, for me in my four years of experience, you know, I have, I've been able to sell it and market it. 
Well, I want to ask this, and I didn't do that because I didn't want to belabor the point, and I'm running out of time because I've got another session here. But uh, I guess my question is, how many people said I can't sell that book? And if if you if you, if you were to tell me it was over 12 or 15, then I'm going, okay, that's one thing. But if I had three or four people, I'm like, oh, fuck off. I, I'll find somebody who will buy it or I'll sell it myself. I mean, you know what I mean? Stack of rejection oh, letters geez. this big. This that's- big. That's insane. I don't get it. Yeah. And so, you know, for someone who's just starting out, they could take that and be like, oh, well, I, I guess I'm not going to make it or I'm going to. And and my advice is, you know, there's other things that they can tell you. If you really get a good agent who gives you maybe a paragraph or two about maybe some aspects of the book that they thought might be different to help them, that's a good that's a good kind of rejection letter. But somebody could absolutely just get soul crushed and be like, well, I'll never do it. I mean, and like I said, I mean, if I would have listened to that, yeah, I wouldn't would. be sitting here today. It's, <laughs> Scott Brick and I wouldn't, wouldn't be talking about the incredible Hulk TV series from <laughs> 77 to 82 with Bill Bixby, which I just started watching with my youngest daughter last night. Oh, I love that. And I'll tell you it, you wonder sometimes of the nostalgia of, was it just romanticizing the past when I saw it as a kid? But I'll tell you what, for all the glamour of the Marvel Universe and the special effects, Bill Bixby's performance and that TV yeah. show, you didn't need anything. I mean, Lou Ferrigno is is great and wonderful with his, you know, acting here and there. Yeah. But it's it, the Hulk was always the most human character yeah. to me and the devastation of losing his wife. And yeah. why he didn't have the strength to lift that car. I mean, it was, I mean, I, I about teared up last night. One, for nostalgia reasons, but two, just the power of the story and the character. And then to find out that Bill Bixby lost his son right before, I think, the last season or two. And then his ex-wife committed suicide. To know, like He's living that in the character. So when I get to seasons four and five, there's a little bit of curiosity in me to see if I can spot something different that he brought to that character, but that lonely man theme of him walking away, you know, with his back, you know, his bag, because he, and I think a lot of artists feel that way. Like I'm a little different than everybody else. You know, I'm not a jock. I'm not a popular person, whatever, but you kind of feel like, you know, you're always searching for that place and home, but sorry for the side here, but it just blew me away last night. Watching that. It was Wow. Landon, why couldn't you bring that great storytelling to the podcast? (laughs) Jeez, oh, Pete. Landon, I'll tell you what, man. Years ago, I've been going to Comic-Con since 1989. Wow. uh, Every single year since then. And uh, Lou Ferrigno used to show up every year. And uh, and I remember, and I would see him signing autographs. and, And he still is buff. He's cut as can be. And, and, and I remember thinking, why have I never gotten an autograph? Why have I never taken a picture with him? And I said, he's not going to be here every year, you know? So it was literally the last time he did a Comic-Con. And I had no idea. I just instinctively knew. I was like, I got to go get a picture with him. And I went up to him and I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I could pay him to put me in a headlock? <laughs> I mean, I think that would be hysterical because, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, you know, you could snap me like a twig. And I was like, is, is that a weird request? Have people asked for that before? And I, and I go up to his desk, to his table and it says, um, uh, 
autograph, you know, $10. Uh, autographed photo, $20. Headlock, $40. Oh, <laughs> so clearly, you know, other people have had this, but I have a photo of me like looking like my face is about to burst, you know, with like blood pressure wow. uh, with his arm wrapped around my neck. I'll, uh, I'll dig it out and I'll send it to you. That's awesome. It's so much fun. Well, next time you're in uh, Comic Con, well, and it just ended. Yeah, it did. Yeah, that's right. So you're in San Diego. I keep forgetting. Next time you yeah. in, please let me take you out to dinner. I'd love. Oh, to do that'd that. be so much fun. I'm 15, 20 minutes away. Yeah. Oh, that'd that's so, so much, much fun. fun. That'd be great. Thank you so much for the time. Go climb into your brick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I so appreciate uh, this. And Landon, I'm glad we finally connected. Scott, it's been a, a huge honor to talk to you because I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan of your work. Oh, thank you. Okay. It's been great to, to get to know you, David, and for having us on and being so generous yeah. with us Thank today. Thank you so much. And like I said, from man, it, your your business is is taken off, and I I, I wish you well. I'm I'm going to be watching the Thriller Fest, you know, Thriller Talk coming up. Thank you. All right, gentlemen, be well. A lot of fun. Thank you, and to you as well. Take care. Thanks once again to Landon Beach and Scott Brick, and the book narrator. Now, coming up next week. Here's a gal who probably doesn't need a whole lot of introduction, and if you've been reading thrillers for the last couple of years, you'll know the name Kellerman. Faye Kellerman. She's got a book called The Hunt. It's a In the meantime, do me a favor. Swing on by our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash thrillerzone. Be sure to subscribe, hit the bell, get notified of upcoming releases. And of course, you can always check us out on thethrillerzone.com. Until we speak again, I'm David Temple, your host, and I'll see you next time for an exciting edition of The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.